Welcome to the LBCF podcast. Our vision is to learn to live and love like Jesus, where we live, work, and play. To find out more about our community, you can visit us at lbcf.org. We hope you are encouraged and challenged by this teaching from our community. Good morning, everybody. All right, we are wrapping up the Psalms of Ascent today. My name's Ryan. I'm the teaching pastor here. Um, Every week that I've come for like the last six weeks, I see a good handful of people I've never met before, which is awesome. Um, I assume it's either our amazing website, and I because uh, I created it, or our awesome sign on the freeway, which I also created. So um, you can thank me later. Um, you can pay me in coffee. So I'm excited to be here today to wrap this up. It's so awesome to be able to have um, to have Esther and Camille be partners of ours. If if you haven't had a chance. To, to hear his wife speak, I really, I can't wait for you to hear that. It's, it's just so awesome to be able to partner with people that it is so mutual, that when we pour into their ministry, that even as we watch closely what's happening, there's favor being poured out. I mean, the president being able to come and hear them and want to duplicate what they're doing, it's so rare and amazing and beautiful, and so we are glad to be in that. Um, to, if, if you are new and you haven't been following along, this is the last week in our Psalms of Ascent. And as a recap, what we've been learning the last 10 weeks, uh, some of the themes that have come up is our releasing our, our tendency to want to hold vengeance and judgment for our enemies and to release that into God's hands. That we raise our eyes and we look and we try to learn and we try to remind ourselves where our help comes from when the world would want to flood in and be your source of help. That our gladness might be hiding on the other side of our participation. We heard a message from, from Danny about the prayers of the oppressed. We heard Rob give us a message on retreat refuge and reward. We heard Alvia give a message about how joy work is body work. And we heard Barb give a message about happiness. We talked about rest and we talked about perseverance, hope, and humility last week. And we watched a poet friend of mine share in Give us an example of what kind of genre we're we're in while we read the Psalms and what that kind of invites us into. How we might let the Psalms wash over us, not to nitpick, but to see what is the beautiful picture it's trying to paint. Um, And also, um, I shared a slide, and it should be the first slide coming up here. I shared this last week, and it's on Facebook, but if you see here, I presented an idea of praying the Psalms in these three, these three separate themes of orientation, disorientation, and reorientation. And if you want any more info on that, uh, you can reach out to me, and I, I would love to see if any of you are passionate about incorporating praying the Psalms into your spiritual journey. Um, I think picking one of each category each day and praying that helps us to see how normal it is to to lay out our joy and our sorrow in the same space 
and how often in our lives things don't tend to wait for one thing to wrap up before another thing starts. And that is what we see in the Psalms as well. And so today we are covering again a lot of ground, but some of the feedback that I got from last week that I'm incorporating today was that um, it was like drinking from a fire hose and I have a tendency to do that, and I'm going to try and dial it back a little bit, and we're going to focus in today specifically on 132, but we also have some things from 133 and 34. Uh, but the question that I want to talk about today is how do we faithfully embrace this present moment? How do we live in the moment Presently, because much of our culture's call to be present is often code for not critically embracing or thinking about what has come before us and not critically thinking about our lives as it moves forward from right now. Being present in our culture is often pushing those things away. And I don't think that that's what it's what scripture's calling us to when it calls us to embrace being present right now? How do we fully hold the past in plain view without obsessing over our past mistakes or our past success? Because those draw us into shame or pride. And also, how do we fully hold the future hope in plain view without being drawn out of our current life into anxiety or fantasy? How can we hold what's happened to us and where we've come from and where we're headed? Because I think that it's in holding both of those places that it actually presses us to know how to live with wisdom right now. I was talking to Anessa about my teaching, and it it just dawned on me how the two of us live very differently in these kinds of ways too and we're trying to find out how they can complement each other but she's really good she's a therapist so she helps people make sense of all the things that has come before she is very versed she sees things in my life where she is making sense of all the craziness of me as I walk it out and she's like well that makes sense because of x y and z that have happened to you and I'm like I don't look at that. I don't know what that means. I'm the dreamer. I'm the one that's always looking forward and planning things and imagining things. And um, if I don't pay attention to the gift that she brings of looking at what's come before, I can get lost. I can detach, fantasize. I can become really anxious. And at the same time, I'm finding out that being able to dream and look forward is a gift to the present for people that might get caught up living only in the past. And so I believe scripture calls us to do both. So in 132, because ultimately it's a psalm of obedience, it says that uh, it's, it's obedience as a lively, adventurous response of faith that is rooted in historical Pack, but reaches into a promised hope. And then we'll turn to 133, which is a poetic vision of this cascading blessings and anointing when our spiritual family dwells in unity. And then we'll conclude in Psalm 134, which is a psalm of praise and adoration and blessing. 
So let's turn to Psalm 132, and I will read this one out. And just like last week, I'm going to be calling on people to read the next ones, which means you can't tune out completely because I might just bring the mic up to you. But let's read one, uh, Psalm 132. It says, Remember, O Lord, in David's favor all the hardships he endured, how he swore to the Lord and vowed to the mighty one of Jacob, I will not enter my house or get into my bed. I will not give sleep to my eyes or slumber to my eyelids until I find a place for the Lord, a dwelling place for the mighty one of Jacob. Behold, we heard of it in Ephrathah. We found it in the fields of Jer. Let us go to his dwelling place. Let us worship at his footstool. Arise, O Lord, and go to your resting place, you and the ark of your might. Let your priests be clothed with righteousness, and let your saints shout for joy for the sake of your servant, David. Do not turn away the face of your anointed one. The Lord swore to David a sure oath from which he will not turn back. One of the sons of your body I will set on your throne. If your sons keep my covenant and my testimonies that I shall teach them, their sons also forever shall sit on your throne. For the Lord has chosen Zion. He has desired it for his dwelling place. This is my resting place forever. Here I will dwell, for I have desired it. I will abundantly bless her, her provisions. I will satisfy her poor with bread. Her priests I will clothe with salvation, and her saints will shout for joy. There I will make a horn for this for the sprout for, for David. I have prepared a lamp for my anointed. His enemies I will clothe with shame, but on him his crown will shine. So, this is a very long psalm, and it is also one that has a different sort of feel than the ones we have read prior. And so, this is what I want to make sure that we are paying attention to because one of the things that the Psalms will do is it will recount this history. It'll tell these stories that they know that they need to make sense of in order to move ahead. 132 is an example of how we hold an anchor into God's story that stretches long before us. David's work, God's promises and an anchor into the eternal reality and hope that we are drawn into, what God will do and how we are called to live. And very often when I hear people talk about how to make sense of these things is, is that we have a long history before us and a long hope of, of a kingdom yet to come after us. The way that I often hear them talked about is it's this stretching that, the hope, that our history wants to pull us backward and our future wants to pull us forward. But when I read the text and when I see what Scripture is often doing is that our history is pushing us forward. It's pushing into us. It's saying, no, live presently now. The history, all of these things are always moving us forward, never pulling us. And the future hope is never dragging us out of our current life. Our future hope is also pressing us and saying, plant, plant seeds. Know that what we are doing now have eternal consequences. Know that there is a future hope. 
but it's never drawing us out of caring for people. It's never drawing us away from paying attention to life as it is right now. So our past is actually pressing us in, and our future is actually pressing us in. And so I think that that's a healthier way to look at what our past and our future are actually doing. They're not stretching us. They're pressing us. They're saying, be present right now with a full view of your history in one hand and a full view of this eternal kingdom and an eternal promise in the other hand. That we could look critically at them both, but that both of them we should be able to look at and say, How, what is the fruit of this in my life right now? And so um, I, have, I have a story of, uh, in this would have been 2008. That's when Dark Knight was released, right? Yeah, so 2008, I was flying home from Kenya, and I had a... I had just graduated from, from college, and I had a group of people that wanted to take me to see the Dark Knight in the IMAX, and it had released the day that my flight landed, and I was like, I don't care. Pick me up from the airport. Take me. I want to go. And so I went, and I got so excited, and I sat in very comfortable chairs, and the lights went down, and I woke up, and there were people on a boat, and I was like, what? So I... I looked over, I was like, what's happening in this movie right now? And they're like, go back to sleep. You have missed. So once the movie started, I fell asleep for a good two hours. And I woke up and thought I could get caught up on what happened in two hours of the dark night by somebody whispering in my ear. And thankfully, my friends were were smart enough to know that, like, you're not going to get caught up right now. So just go back to sleep. And so for me... I realized that in order to make sense of what was happening on the screen, I needed a lot of context. I needed to have seen a lot of the character development. None of it made sense at all. I didn't know who the characters were. I didn't know how things ended up in that place. And very often when we try to make sense of our life now, if we don't even take a second to look at where we've come from, if we don't take a second to look at how does this make sense in the arc of what God has promised and what his people have endured and gone through, it would be really tempting to think what we are experiencing right now as being really crazy or unique or weird, but it's really helpful when we see that some of the things we're enduring right now in our culture, in our church, amongst other people, make sense. Because sometimes it's tempting to think that this is all just crazy and there are no answers. But knowing the past, our story, and each other's stories and trying to grasp what's happening, it's not simply about us having more comfort with our current life. It moves us into obedience. That's what we see here in Psalm 132 is that when we understand our story, it frees us up from the temptation to be obsessed with what's come before us. It frees us up from the anxiety of what might come after us. And when you're freed up to do that, your hands are able to obey. We are able to be moved into obedience when we're freed up from the obsession of the past or the obsession of what might come. 
So one of the things that is talked about here is the ark. And the ark has a major story. And if you are new to the church or no one's taught you about the story of the ark, it was this representation of God's presence with his people. And there was a mistake that was made that when it was captured, it was taken away by, by the capturers. And they thought that they had, they had, they had gotten the power of Yahweh and that if they had the ark, that they could wield, manipulate, and use it. And what they saw was that God won't be manipulated. That when they had the ark, there was chaos. And he said, I, this is a representation of my dwelling with my people. And so what happens in this story that they're recalling, they're trying to bring to mind this history that they have of God promises to dwell with his people, the people that seek his face always. And so as the Psalms of Ascent, it's this group of pilgrims that need to remind themselves of these kinds of stories of God promises to dwell with his people, that he will not be manipulated to just be transported by people who say that they have this, this thing. No matter what we might call a building of a church, God promises to dwell with people who seek his face. Just because we build a church or we have an ark or you have a cross or you have a fish on your car, it doesn't mean anything if you don't seek the face and the likeness of Jesus. That's the whole thing. And so they needed to remember this as they were ascending to worship. And so back to the question is how do we faithfully embrace this present moment? I think it is that we look to the past openly, soberly, and we look to the future with anticipation and hope, and we are able to judge both by the fruit that they produce in our lives. That ultimately, this isn't about you having some individual piety that you can hold. It's how does that play out? What kind of fruit does that produce in your community? And so let's go to Psalm one. And I know that these are, that we are skipping on the top of some amazing things that you could look into. Last week I had some, I have, I always carry this sort of anxiety of, of like how much to get into these things. And one thing that brought me great peace is the Lord reminded me that the deep work of looking into this is not my job. That's actually your job. <laughs> so I got great peace of being able to remind that the job of looking into how does this play out in your personal life and diving in and incorporating this and chewing on it is not my job. And so that brought me great peace. So I, um, I'm working on it on my end. So let's go to Psalm 133. And can I get a volunteer to read this? All right. Ah, my beautiful girl Lexi. Hi. Behold, what? Oh. Hi. Behold how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity. It is like the precious oil on the head, running down on the beard, on the beard of Aaron, running down on the collar of his robes. It is like the dew of Hermon, which falls on the mountains of Zion. For there the Lord has commanded the blessing life forevermore. Let's give a round of applause, everybody. All right. So 
There's a couple of things that I want to point out. Like I said, I'm going to be spending more time in 132, less than 133, but behold how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity. Um, how many have a sibling in here know that just being present in the same room does not, does not constitute unity? Being in the same place as your brother or sister often means something very different. Um, I would have many times when the internet was just a new thing. Uh, my sister was a few years older than me, and she would want to talk to her friends on the phone. I wanted to do AOL Instant Messenger. I don't know what was happening, but my parents were at work, and she, there were many stories of her throwing the phone at me and it actually hitting me in the head. So I know that dwelling in unity does not just mean being in the same room with each other. All of us being in this room together does not constitute unity. We're, we're, we're in the same proximity. But what it's talking about here is, are we able to look at each other and say, we're headed in the same place. I've got your back. Because the same things, the same things that make family thriving and healthy are the same things that would make a church thriving and healthy. But the same things that cause rupture, loss of trust, pain, and trauma in a family is the same kinds of things that would cause that in a church. The same feeling that I get when I'm at odds with somebody in my family and how tough that is to be in the same place and, and sometimes just get stuff done Sometimes that can be the same feeling when I'm with my spiritual family and knowing that there are, there's something that's not tied up. But we have work to do. And I believe that God desires that we would dwell in unity. And he paints this beautiful picture here. It says it's like the precious oil on the head running down on the beard, on the beard of Aaron running down on the collar of his robes. There's this picture it's trying to paint of like, it is this overflowing, cascading blessing that will just hit everything on its way, indiscriminately blessing everything it touches. That the blessing that would come as the people of God would dwell in unity would just be this cascading, overflowing thing that would just hit and splash and go everywhere. And I think that's how it wants us to see. And it also talks about it is like the dew of Hermon, which I'm, I'm sure that all of you know what the dew of Hermon is, right? So the dew of Hermon, it, it was this much larger mountain where dew would accumulate much larger, more rapidly, more often. And it's saying that the beautiful dew that we see on this much larger mountain where it makes sense would be transported to Mount Zion, a much smaller mountain where it would be more rare this blessing of refreshment that makes a lot more sense in other places would be transported to where we are now. That the blessing that we would, in, that we would be able to enjoy would be something that actually makes more sense somewhere else. And I think that that's the picture it's trying to paint here is that that kind of community is something God longs for. In Hebrews 10, there were early Christians 
that moved away from this community because it's messy and it's tough and it's hard when you have to navigate this idea with other people. And there were early Christians that moved away from community into personal piety. They moved away from working this out as a family into what does this mean about my personal spirituality. And the, per- and the author of Hebrews takes that takes those people to task and says, don't despise coming together. Get back to community. Don't walk away. Don't make this about you and yourself personally. Scripture is constant in how it affirms the role of community. So, 134 now. This will be our last one in the Psalms of Ascent. Who would like to read this today? All right. Got Gabby. Come bless the Lord, all you servants of the Lord, who stand in the night in the house of the Lord. Lift up your hands to the holy place and bless the Lord. May the Lord bless you from Zion. He has made heaven and earth. Thank you, Gabby, who heads up our prayer ministry. And if you've never been prayed for by that wonderful woman, do it. I encourage you, if you, even if you don't think you need prayer when she's praying for you, you'll be like, oh, I needed prayer. Bless the Lord. The NIV splits it, and it actually starts with, come praise the Lord, all you servants. And I think the reason that the NIV the the NIV splits it there is because when we conjure up the idea of blessing, how on earth could we actually bless the Lord? What do we bless him with? We say that a lot. It's in a lot of our worship. It's in the text all over the place. Bless the Lord, oh my soul. Have you ever stopped and thought, what does that mean? How on earth could we bless the Lord? So blessing the Lord, that word is actually conjured up from a Hebrew word, barak, which is to kneel. That when we bless the Lord, it is conjuring up the image of when the king comes in, when royalty comes in, you acknowledge their presence, their greatness by kneeling. So when we bless, bless the Lord, the picture that we should be imagining is surrender and praise and adoration. So when it says, bless the Lord, that's what we would imagine. And it says, those who stand by night in the house of the Lord. At the time, Levites were, these, were, were often in charge of worshiping and serving the Lord on a 24-hour watch. And so very often people think that this is going out for those people who are just Praising and worshiping the Lord 24-7. And so, what a great way to end the Psalms of Ascent. That as they finally got to the top of the steps, and they've talked about all of the ways that they need to lay down their their um, need for making things right with their with their enemies. Talking about this cascading oil of blessing that this group of people reaches the top, and what they want to do is praise. They want to raise their hands and surrender, 
and they call each other to bless the Lord. I think that is a great place for us to end as well. And so a concluding question that we have now is now that we have ascended, now that we've gone to the end and we've read these Psalms of Ascent, what do we do now? What do we do with these things that we've read? And I would encourage all of us to incorporate these Psalms into your history and your hope that you would let these be permission to step into the real world and exclaim your own hope, your own fear, your own doubt and trust and confidence and exhaustion and your anger, your reflection, all as a very real and very blessed and very baptized and very necessary part of our worship. That if what we do when we come into church is we lay any of that aside, that we're actually participating in worship unbiblically. That worship was this place where God's people would come together with open eyes and looking very real at their past, very real at the hope of their future, very real at the threats that surrounded them and the pain that they had, but also the history of their story and what they were drawn into, this giant mess of stuff that often is conjured up in us when we try to sing the words of our worship, that those same things that are conjured up in you, that we would not think that, those, that the place of worship is a foreign place to bring those parts of us, that God actually sees all of that, and any amount of hiding that you think you are doing is all a show for yourself because God sees it. That LBCF could be a place where we would be able to bring those things into worship, and that at the exact same time, somebody could, ex- could be experiencing joy and could be could be raising their hands because they've just experienced freedom from something that's been plaguing them their whole life, that we could celebrate with that person and that somebody could be broken over here and we could weep with them too, knowing that those two things often come into the same room. And not only do they often come into the same room, they often come into the same person. That those crazy, contrary, confusing experiences is something that God says, and something that we see in the Psalms, it says, bring it, bring it here. Bring it to this place. Let this infuse your real life. Don't let your spirituality be this fake other place that you escape to. That we bring all of those to worship. Allow the Psalms to be your helpful companions as you pray when you might not have words. And then I really think one of the things that the psalm is calling us to is to write your own. Write your own psalms. Where are you now? Are you in a place of, of confusion? We are, starting at, we are starting a pre-Advent message next week, but then Advent starts the week after. But are you in a place of longing and waiting? How often does life feel like Once you feel like you've arrived at one place, all of a sudden, immediately, you're in between that place and the next place. In this in-between longing and waiting and hoping, maybe that's the psalm that you need to write. And maybe that's the psalm that when you write it, bring it into community so that we could sing it with you. Because often the experience you're having is something that is putting words to something that we're all walking through. So I encourage you, write your own 
psalms and bring it. I would love to read them. I would love to journey that with you. Writing your own psalms could be an amazing thing for us as a community. And so now as we move into communion, I want to read a quote from Bonhoeffer, and he says, Our community with one another consists solely in what Christ has done to us. That our, our community with each other is not what we agree in. Our community with each other is not the same experiences. Our community with each other is that we can look at each other and say, Christ has done the same thing for you as he has for me. And that that draws us closer than anything else possibly could. And we celebrate that in communion. That when we take the bread and we take the cup, we see the strongest bond that we have with each other is that Christ died, rose again, and gave his life for each of us the exact same amount. And that is a bond, that is a tie that we celebrate in communion. And so I'm going to call those who are serving communion up. I'm going to call the worship team up. And then also, as you take communion, when you're done, we'll have people from the prayer team over here that I really encourage you, come and ask for prayer. Let somebody bless you with prayer over your life. And so I'll close us in prayer, and we will move to communion and worship. And then Barb will close us out. Lord, I ask that you would show us what it looks like to faithfully embrace this present moment. Knowing that it doesn't require us to, to ignore anything from our past or be distracted by anything that might come in the future. Knowing that, that the hope is something that would press us in to live faithfully, obediently right now. Help us to see what the Psalms are calling us into. Help us, uh, show us how, how we can allow the, the poetry of the Psalms to wash over us and to encourage us and to make some sense over some things that might feel crazy to us. Lord, thank you for these, this collection of Psalms that we've been in the last 10 weeks. Would they be a beautiful way for us to prepare our heart as we come to Advent? As, as we come to this preparation time, making space for your son, for the way that you chose to incarnate yourself in the world, in this powerful place, in, in a world that was crazy and longing and waiting and confused, that you chose to enter in the humblest way, Lord, would we prepare our hearts to embrace you in that way. Lord, thank you for the communion table, for the ways that we can we can embrace our community with each other, looking at these elements, knowing that we share in common. That is the most beautiful connecting point, is that your, the work you've done in me is the same work that you've done in each other. Lord, and we can look and, sh and have compassion and love for each other because of that. Thank you for this community of people that are showing up, being radically generous and loving to each other. Lord, would you just grow that and grow that. In Jesus' name, amen.